Last weekend, we began our series called Unhurried, all about finding our pace in the Lord's Prayer. And really, we, we gave an overview of the Lord's Prayer, but then drilled right into the first part of that prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and answered the question of who. Who is it that we pray to? And we learned about the word our, and how we, all, we never pray alone. We're always with people or with Jesus in prayer. We're joining Jesus in prayer. We answered the question of where. So where is this God that we're praying to? This God who loves us and delights in us and calls us his children. Where exactly is he? And we learned that that word for heaven isn't just some place far, far away in another galaxy off some other place. But that word heaven speaks of the air that we breathe. And so our Father, the one who loves us and adores us and delights in us, who calls us loved sons and daughters, is closer than the air that we breathe. And finally we answer, so if we are going to pray, if we get around to praying, what do we actually say? What's the first thing on our hearts? And it was, hallowed be your name. God, would your name be the name that is heard? Would your character and identity and goodness and love and justice be seen in my life every single day? You know, the reason we call this unhurried is because it's not enough to simply say, well, you know, we know our lives are busy, so by sheer willpower, we're just going to stop being as busy as we are. We know it's toxic for our souls, this busyness, this hurriedness. But instead of just a, a decision of the will that says, we'll just try harder not to be busy, the reason we're walking into the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase is to find the pace of Jesus in this prayer. And every day as we pause and give ourselves to the praying of this prayer, and, it, and over time expanding this prayer, every week we're going to expand the prayer a little bit more, then in the days to come, we will find ourselves being a people devoted to Jesus in prayer, quieting our hearts, pausing long enough from our hurriedness to hear the movements of Jesus. And so the prayer has already been prayed this morning, but we're going to do it again because our kids did it so well, and we need to show them that we as the adults, we can pull this off too. Like, we can pray this thing. And every weekend, we're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer, so we're going to pray it together. I got a few emails this week, and I love it when you interact with me, and some folks told me, hey, uh, we're talking about unhurried, and yet last weekend, I felt like we rushed right through the Lord's Prayer. I was like, well, that's not good, so we're going to take our time uh, this weekend. We're going to pause, so I want to just follow my directions. Corinne's going to bring it up here. Uh, And after a few phrases, I'm going to ask us to pause. When we pause, we're going to sit quietly and consider what it is we're praying. So I know you've done a lot of this again this morning. Would you stand with me? And remember, we are now praying to the one who loves us, is passionate about us, the one who made us, and he's right here. He's right here, ready to hear our hearts as we prepare to hear from him. So let's go to prayer. As we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pause there. Just pause there. And we continue. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, let's pause there. And we pray, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Pause there. And we pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Pause there. And we pray, 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. As I said last weekend, we spent our time in that first phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today we're going to dive into the next line of the prayer that's already been set up so well for us uh, by joining the kids as they led us in this phrase. When we pray and are invited to pray by Jesus, your kingdom come. I mean, what does it really mean for God's kingdom to come? What are we asking for when we pray? Okay, Father, not only do we want your name to be hallowed, we want your kingdom come. And we want your will to be done here like it is in heaven, right now on earth. So I want to ask you, church, what exactly is the kingdom of God? I mean, if you really had to describe it in, in just a short phrase, maybe you get on an elevator with someone and for some reason they turn to you and for no other reason say, so tell me, what is the kingdom of God exactly? I mean, how would you say that between floor, ground floor and you know, floor 15? Do you know how to just summarize it for somebody? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take something to write with. So uh, there's pencils in the, in the seat pockets in front of you. Some of you have devices. There's a uh, blank page in the bulletin. We're going to take 30 seconds, and I want you to finish this phrase. The kingdom of God is, as best you can. Okay? The kingdom of God is. If you're joining us online, same with you. Uh, take out a piece of paper or pen, something on your computer or device. And in as concise and concrete way as you can, just finish that sentence. The kingdom of God is. kingdom of God is no looking on other people's papers. There'll be no cheating this morning. The kingdom of God is now all you extroverts in the room are so excited to share with your neighbor what you've written. All you introverts are horrified that I'm going to make you share it out loud. We won't do that. The kingdom of God is what'd you write? So how's it going? Easy to do? Just simple right there. Or was it kind of hard to capture? And easy. Good. It wasn't for me. This week I stumbled around on it. See, in my experience, we tend not to have a great deal of clarity. I mean, we can kind of pull an image or two or an idea, but we tend not to have a great deal of clarity on what the kingdom of God is precisely about. And there's good reason for that. I mean, in a short amount of time, just to say the kingdom of God is, well, it's because we can barely imagine it. We have a hard time getting our minds to grasp what this world would look like if God's kingdom was to come. And even though the prophets dreamt of it and Jesus spoke about it all the time, I mean, his main message was the good news of the kingdom of God. And in Acts, those who apprenticed under Jesus continued his way of proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of the kingdom of God. And even yet with all of this, we have trouble understanding what the kingdom of God is. So we're going to start with a definition. Uh, People much smarter than I did came up with this one because the technical phrase that's often used to define the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. In other, in other words, it is that sphere in which whatever God desires is exactly what is happening and is exactly what happens without delay. It's however God wants it. That's how it is. The kingdom of God, then, is really that sphere, like I said, in which the whole intention of God, the whole vision of God, the whole desire of God is being fully lived out and fully expressed without hindrance. Here at Rexdale Alliance Church, the language we've adopted to talk about the kingdom is related to this. We talk about connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission. 
to grow deep into Jesus and join him in what he's doing in the world is the reason that we exist as a church. To join God in his ultimate mission of restoring what was broken by sin and darkness. Because if you've looked around, have you ever looked at the world and said, you know what, it's just right. How it is right now in the world is exactly how life ought to be. Or maybe like God, we're saying, this is not how we need this to be. Things have got to get better. There has to be a redemption. You see, when we go back to the beginning, right back to Genesis in the Bible, it tells us that there was a time when people and work and nature were in absolute perfect harmony with God. However God wanted it is exactly how it was. But the choice to sin distorted every relationship under heaven. And where before there was no brokenness, pain, or darkness, those things just rolled in like a flood. And yet right on the heels of devastation, God made it clear that he would not abandon his dream for us. He was not giving up on a kingdom vision. He would not forget the vision he held for his kind of kingdom despite the influence of sin. And so as you enter into the grand story of God through the scriptures, the main theme, the main thread that's running through the whole Bible is this, is God will redeem. God is going to restore everything that was affected by the curse of sin. You know, the whole tension of the Bible, really, is so when sin enters the picture and there's this distortion of relationship, there's this fragmenting that happens all through the universe in every layer of relationship, in everything that we can see, the fragmentation through sin. And God looks at that and says, I'm going to restore, I'm going to pull back together that which is out of order and bring it back into order, and that's my kingdom. And so the whole tension of the Bible as you walk through the stories, particularly through the Old Testament and up to Jesus, is this. Will God be able to keep his promise to redeem? And there's so many times in the Bible where it feels like God's dream, God's vision for a kingdom is going to be lost. Doesn't it? I mean, a promise is laid as a sacrifice on a pile of stones. People are trapped between an army and a sea. And time and again, as you reach these pinnacles of tension... Within the scriptures, God intervenes, God moves, God parts rivers, God parts seas, God raises the dead to keep his dream of a kingdom alive, despite the influence of sin. Because he is committed, he is devoted to take back what was violated by evil and establish a kingdom of peace and healing and righteousness and love that will never, ever end. And that is good news. And I've even been in a church or two where someone might even say amen to that. Okay, you're with me. But what would that look like? What does it actually look like when the kingdom of God comes? What is God after? And what are we as a church? What are we really after? Well, the good news for us is that the writers of Scripture spent an enormous amount of time reflecting on this, on what the earth would look like, what relationship would look like if it were aligned rightly with the kingdom of God. They wrote a lot about it, both in Old Testament and New Testament. And because this involves a spiritual reality, and spiritual reality is very hard to describe, mostly they used images, powerful metaphors, to convey what life would be like under God's administration. What would life really be like under God's unhindered reign? So in this message, we're going to look at some of those primary images from Scripture about God's kingdom and come, come to them and soak in the truth of those images that God's given us. And my goal is that we would be able to pray with intelligence from this day forward, your kingdom come, and know what it is that we're actually longing for. As followers of Jesus, we need to be kingdom-minded prayers and able to identify those moments when we're being invited 
to participate in God's kingdom cause. So what would it look like if God's kingdom came and his will was done right here on earth like it is in heaven? What would it look like for God's unhindered rule and unhindered sway to be real in my life, in your life, in the life of the church, in our communities? Your kingdom come. The Bible talks about this whole idea of kingdom in relative to different spheres of human life. First of all, there's the sphere of economics and human need. The writer John in Revelation 7 talks about the day when God's kingdom is fully realized. And he says, never again will they hunger. And never again will people thirst. You think about what that that would look like. The elimination of hunger. There's a lot of us that are going to be gathering around tables of abundance this weekend. Most of the world isn't gathering around tables of abundance. You imagine in the kingdom of God when God says how it is in my kingdom, no one's ever hungry or thirsty. No more pictures of little children with swollen bellies. No scarcity. No more moms trying to scrounge around for enough food so that their babies can survive another day. Because in God's kingdom, that ends. That's over. But it's not just the end of poverty. The writers would write about the overflow of abundance that would be real in God's kingdom. A prophet named Amos wrote about this. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps. When new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Now remember, this was written in a semi-desert context. And they would have to reap and then wait a long time for the rains to come and soften the soil because it wasn't very fertile ground. And the writers use imagery to talk about what the earth will be like if it were redeemed from the curse of sin. The one that plows and the one that reaps, they bump into each other and they collide with one another in the field because there's just abundance. There's enough for everybody and then some. There's a sphere of politics, which in our history is mostly the story of human conflict. You know, I've heard many times, you're not supposed to talk about politics in church. Well, Jesus talked about politics all the time. Very politically minded. But it's true, most of the story of human history is about conflict, is it not? In Isaiah 2, it says that God will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many people. Now think about these words. You've probably heard them before. People, nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. In God's kingdom, no more fighting, no more hatred. I mean, if you had enough of war, Have you had enough of human conflict in the world? They won't have any use for swords anymore. So they're going to beat them into, make them into farming implements to be used in these fields of abundance. You know, in our day, this would be like taking all the weapons of conflict, melting them down and using the raw material to build playgrounds for kids. That's what the scriptures are saying. And there will be peace in God's kingdom because there'll be no such thing as an enemy. John says in his vision that the street of this great city, this picture of the kingdom of God, God's community, he uses the image of the city being paved with pure gold. And he says that in this city, in God's kingdom, is surrounded by 12 gates, and each gate is made of a single pearl. And what he's using this imagery to say is that in the kingdom of God, it will be a place where the human hunger for beauty is finally fulfilled and finally satisfied. And the creative genius that God has placed in people made in his image, the image of his creator, will blossom and flourish. And every day will be a masterpiece. And I just think when people in God's kingdom, in that city, 
look at magazine covers and pictures of other people online and then look in the mirror, they will stop and think to themselves, well, I look just right. Because society would have learned to see and celebrate the beauty that God sees when he looks at human beings made in his image, every single one of them, whatever their shape or size or color, they would all look in the mirror and everyone says in God's kingdom, I'm made just right. And scripture says in the kingdom of God, there will be no more fear. Any of us afraid today about anything? How about this? In God's kingdom, no one's ever afraid anymore. And John puts it like this in Revelation 21. On no day will God's kingdom gates ever be shut because there's no night there. In biblical times, of course, there was no electricity, right? Night was a time of darkness, a time of vulnerability, a time when crimes were committed, a time of fear. And it says in the kingdom of God, those days will be over. No more locked doors, no gated communities, no security systems, no combinations. And praise be to God, you will never lose your keys because there's no doors to open. And you can be just fine walking through whatever you want to. And the scripture then speaks of the kingdom of God redeeming family life. Not only is there economic reform and political reform. Not only is there the transformation of the relationship I have with myself. The kingdom of God will redeem family life. In Luke chapter 1, it says, and he, speaking of, uh, of the kingdom of God, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. How about this? In the kingdom of God, no more separation, no more divorce, no more abuse, no neglect, and no unloved, unwanted children ever again. Amen. And then maybe the most beautiful words of all about the kingdom. In Revelation 21, it says, and I heard a loud voice saying, Here's the picture of the kingdom of God. Now the dwelling place of God is with people and he's going to live with them, tabernacle with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then think about these words and God himself will wipe every tear from your eye and there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and the new kingdom of God has come. And every day you will be at home with God, never separated by sin. In Ezekiel, it says that God promises, I will remove the hearts of stone and replace them with a heart of flesh. No more stony hearts. No more cold hearts. No more stubborn hearts. There's a day coming where, you'll, where you will never say something you'll ever regret again. You'll never do anything to be ashamed of. You'll never do anything to feel guilty about. When you see somebody else's success or beauty or wealth, it won't even occur to you to be envious but only rejoice as if you had these things yourself. And every tribe and tongue and people and nation will gather as brothers and sisters around the throne. And you who hear my voice right now, both in the room and online, you think about this, you will see the living God. And there'll be no more doubt and no more questions and no more why. For you will see, you will look into the face of God and he will be your God. We will be his people. And every thought will be a prayer and every prayer will be a conversation with God. And God will come to you and wipe every tear from your eye that you have ever cried. And you will never cry again. How does that sound? (laughs) Here's the deal. If you're like me, a part of you wonders, can this really be really like is it possible that this earth as broken as it is right now can it really be redeemed will the day ever really come when god's will is done fully is this real or is god's dream just wishful thinking we need to know that jesus whole message was about the reality of this kingdom 
What I've just shared with you is the good news of the kingdom of God. In the Gospels, one of the phrases that Jesus repeats again and again is that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he's not just kind of, he's not saying it's just kind of getting close someday. He's saying in those words that the kingdom of God is now available. You see, in human history, one life has already been lived on this earth in the flesh in which God's will had unhindered sway. Whose life was that? That was Jesus. Whatever God wanted is exactly what was happening in the life and person of Jesus. And Jesus bore in his own person, in his flesh and blood, the reality of the kingdom of God. And everybody that saw him saw a life lived in God reality every single moment. A life in which whatever God desires is exactly what was chosen every time. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like in real time and in real space. You look at Jesus. He is God's kingdom come. And then Jesus says to the people of his day, and to now you and me, he says, now this is possible. You see, I've done it. I've been victorious, Jesus says. Now the kingdom is open to you. And see, this is the gospel. It's now possible for human beings to live in the presence and power of God. And you can do this right now. And it's the greatest offer you will ever have. And if you want it more than anything else, Jesus then says to you, then you follow me. You do life my way. And you will learn from me how to live in my Father's kingdom right now and be part of my mission of making that true everywhere in the world. You know, we talk sometimes in the church about the power of vision. I want to tell you, Jesus cast the ultimate, most compelling vision that the human race has ever heard. And when men and women heard it and understood it, I mean, they devoted their hearts to it. They sacrificed their possessions for it. They sacrificed their careers for it. They sacrificed their homes for it. They lived for it and they died for it. And they did it with joy. And people throughout history did it laughing and weeping and dancing, unable to believe their good fortune that the kingdom of God was open to them right where they were in real time. And see, the church from the beginning held to this truth. We've already heard about it this morning. That the kingdom of God was both a current reality and a future hope. It's both and, not either or, both and. It was both here now and yet to come. And the early church and the church throughout history, they chose to live in the reality of the kingdom, even though externally the world around them was yet to be fully redeemed. They chose to live in a kingdom by kingdom values and by a kingdom operation that was in conflict with the world around them. Because they believed the influence of God needed to be extended to the world. And they believed that in following Jesus, they could join him in closing the gap between how things were and how they ought to be. They didn't passively bide their time on earth simply waiting to get off to heaven someday. No, they believed that the reality of heaven could be lived now. And that God's mission to reconcile everything to himself, everything to himself, was worth giving their lives for. Now, I am not sure when it happened. I don't really know. I've looked and I can't pinpoint a date. I'm not sure when it happened, but somewhere along the line, there was a philosophy that grew up in the church that said, you know, our main deal is to get people saved so that we could all go to heaven someday. And that was it. That was the whole whole message. I mean, don't concern yourselves with issues of injustice or poverty or violence Don't concern yourselves with issues of racial inequality or economic oppression or sexual discrimination or the environment. You know what? Just say a prayer and get your ticket to glory and then spend the bulk of your time feeding yourself good spiritual food while the rest of the world is starved for justice. 
Because it didn't matter, right? I mean, that's what some of us were told. I mean, the whole place is going up in smoke anyway, so let's do our best to be good until we go to heaven, and that's it. This became the main message of the Western church for many years. And I want to tell you, the damage of that message has been extensive. Because the credibility of the church to have a voice and to have influence into the most important issues of our world have been diminished. But it's not over. Because God has something better for us. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus lived and spoke about is that his church can join him every day in being a reconciling force in the world now, right now. So the big question that sits with us today, how will this happen? I mean, how will God's kingdom come? How will this fallen earth get set right? And do you agree with me this morning? It needs to get set right. Amen? I mean, and people have been trying to do it on human power for a really long time. Revolutions come and go, governments rise and fall, and yet people keep hating each other, killing each other. Wars break out, and human hearts continue to be selfish. And some think if we just get the right economic plan in place, that will solve all the issues. Never has. Others think the answer is a political one. You know, if we can just get our person elected, that'll do it. No, it won't. That won't do it. Because the heart needs transformation, not just new leadership. I mean, how does God's kingdom come to to earth? Amazingly, it starts with prayer. It happens when we capture the kingdom vision of Jesus in prayer and are empowered to live responsively to the promptings of the Spirit. When we begin to pray, God, your kingdom come, do you know what we're doing? We are in that prayer. We are rejecting every other kingdom-building venture and choosing the way of Jesus first and only. And here's the deal. Lots of us want to do something about the brokenness in this world, but we don't know where to begin. I mean, what can we do? I talked to so many of our young adults. We had a meeting last uh, Sunday afternoon. About 70 of our young adults gathered together to have lunch and just talk about what might God have for us here at this church. And I see in that group of people in particular, our young adult population, they see how the world is. And God is stirring their hearts and saying, it needs to be different. I love that revolutionary kind of heart that they have. But the question is, what can we really do? Where do you begin? How do we start to see God's kingdom come? Here's how. You start by praying it. We start by praying it into reality. And as we pray, we will begin to see the clear invitations of Jesus to join him in specific kingdom adventures. It starts with prayer and leads to responsiveness. And so with the time I have left, I want to give some direction very practically how to become kingdom prayers that step into powerful, spirit-filled kingdom activities that bring about real and lasting change. Would you like to know? Would you like some insight into this? Here's how the kingdom of God comes, and it starts with this. When we pray, your kingdom come, we start this, your kingdom come in my life. I mean, let's just say, how about this? Before we get all bent out of shape of dealing with the tyrant out there, how about we ask God to deal with the tyrant in here? You know, before it's all about get that fixed, how about it's Jesus redeem me? You're so quick to watch the news, and that's great. It's so quick to say how it is out there. But what if the kingdom of God came and became a reality in me? So we're actually going to pause right now. I want you to, we're going to pray through this together. 
When we say our Father who loves us and delights in us, the God who is closer than the air that we breathe, may your name be holy. And then we say, would your kingdom come in my life? And we pause and we ask, God, what would it look like right now for your kingdom to come in my decisions, in my priorities? What does it look like for your kingdom to come into my finances? I mean, what if the primary driver behind our whole financial life was to get all of God's money moving into circulation for his kingdom? And that was the first question we asked. Just take a moment and ask this, God, where does your kingdom need to come in my life? Where is there a hint of rebellion in my heart against your kingdom way? And ask him to reveal it. And when you find something or feel something that is not in line with God's kingdom vision, you know what you do? You confess. You say, this is true of me. This is not in line with God's kingdom in my life, in my priorities, in my finances, in my work. And so I renounce that. I repent of that. And Jesus, I choose your way. Would your kingdom come? Your will be done right now in me. If you were to pray that your kingdom come in my life, what would that feel like? What would that look like? Here's a second one. Not only would your kingdom come, God, in my life, your kingdom come in my relationships. A relationship with your kids, your grandkids, nieces and nephews, your spouse, your friends, your family, co-workers, other students. What would it look like for God's kingdom to come? You know what it usually means? You see, here's the deal. In God's kingdom, there's no room for bitterness. To live by a kingdom value in reality means that we live out of the grace of forgiveness. And we don't hold grudges. For you to be in line with the kingdom reality of God, what does it look like to live forgiveness today against the people that have hurt you? Because how it is in God's kingdom is that when someone offends you, you forgive and you absorb the cost of it because you know who did that first. Jesus did. And however Jesus did it relationally, that's how we do it relationally, to be in line with the kingdom. As I've already said, we can't really be a lot about stopping the wars out there until we deal with the wars right here. Where does God's kingdom need to come in your relational world? Ask him. Write something down. Deal with it this afternoon or even right now. God, your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in my relational world. And then this, just the last one, your kingdom come in this world. And when we're dealing with the internal realities of the kingdom, then we move that to our relational web. Now we have the ability to really pray well. Now your kingdom come in this world. And I'll just say this, church, learn to pray with a map. Start praying God's kingdom come in our neighborhoods, in Rexdale, in parts of Tandridge, in Jamestown, Kendleton in other parts of Etobicoke, in other parts of the GTA. I mean, pray with the map and say, God, what would be different if your kingdom came here? In our province, what would be different if God's kingdom was to come to Ontario or to Canada or to parts of the world like Syria or India, Sri Lanka, Iraq, Senegal, Russia, the UK? I mean, start praying the things that God puts on your heart and the prayer for the kingdom to come. Start saying, God, would you align these people in these places and those churches to be a kingdom force in the world. 
and people of peace. And we start praying like this, our hearts start to align with the mission of Jesus. Because here's the, here's the deal. You set the platform of prayer so that when an opportunity comes to participate in a God's kingdom come kind of cause, you know exactly what to do and you recognize it. And friends, this is how Jesus is redeeming the world. It all points back to a challenge I gave a few weeks ago when I said, Jesus, what is the unique assignment you have for Rexdale Alliance Church in this season? You know, that's just another way of praying your kingdom come. God, what do you want us to be about? And we're still praying that. I invite you to keep praying that. It's about pausing long enough to capture what God is doing and then choosing to join him and not just hurrying off and doing stuff for God that we hope he likes. How about it starts this, God, your kingdom come in my life, in my relationships, and now in this world. And simultaneously, we get to join Jesus in being part of his redeeming force in the world to make things as they ought to be. Your kingdom come. You know, as I've thought about it for this area, I've only been here a few months uh, around Rexdale. But as I look at our area, you know, one of the things that keeps coming to mind for me at a prayer time on Thursday as a staff, um, I mean, there's a lot of violence in our community. You ever noticed that? I mean, there is domestically. Some of it's behind closed doors. Some of it spills out onto the streets. I'm not sure what the answer is, but here's how I'm praying these days. When I say, God, your kingdom come to our neighborhoods around here, because in God's kingdom, people don't hurt each other like that. They don't shoot each other in God's kingdom. And for 2,000 years, the church has been the voice in the community, not saying someone ought to do something about that. It's the church that says, we're going to bring God's kingdom come into homes, into neighborhoods, because in God's kingdom, people don't do that, and they don't treat each other like that. It's been the church that's responded to the invitations of Jesus to make things better, not just someday, but make things better now. I mean, kids growing up in this neighborhood have got to know that they're loved and embraced and that they don't have to be afraid to walk down the street. And it's the church. It might be Rexdale Alliance Church's mission, our assignment in the days to come to say, that's what we're taking on. I'm not sure yet. This is what I'm praying. I said I would share with you things as they come. That's one on my heart. Deal with the violence. And bring the peace of Christ. Candace had mentioned earlier on in the service um, that we have an opportunity to respond today uh, to a kingdom cause, to a kingdom venture. We're going to get to that in a moment. We're going to be able to give generously towards a specific call. And our, the president of the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada, of which this church is a part, is putting a call out for this Thanksgiving weekend to participate in a kingdom cause. And we're going to do that in a moment. I'm sensing we just need to pause here for a moment before going to that. So, Corinne, if you could just hold on to the video for a minute. Can we just sit quietly with me for a moment? And Melissa and the team, why don't you come on up and just be ready to go here in a minute. Our Father... Our confession is this. We agree with you that the world is not as it ought to be. There's a lot of brokenness. So many people hurting. God, I just sense that your call today to us is to not choose the path of least resistance and move into passivity, but to be those people that are kingdom prayers. 
God, would your kingdom come in our lives, personally, individually? Would your kingdom come in our relationships? And would we be the kind of church that as we pray your kingdom come into this world, we accept your invitation to join you in the things that are on your heart and give ourselves fully to it? I commit to you again and say, Our Father, who is closer than the air that we breathe, would your name be kept holy? Your kingdom come now. Your will be done now in me, in us, and in this world. As it is in heaven, let it be so on earth, starting with us. In Jesus' name, amen.